All right, welcome back to another episode of Friends from Work Plus. Today's episode is going to be an MCU deep dive into what we are calling our Mount Rushmore of directors. That's right, a quick Marvel left for you talking about who are four, not even just favorite, but the Mount Rushmore four directors mm -hmm. in the MCU that we kind of hold on a higher pedestal for whatever reason than some of the others. And I'm really looking forward to this bonus discussion, Robbie, because I have no idea what you're going to choose. I think I know two of them that we're going to be exactly the same on. And again, I promise we haven't talked about this at all, but I uh -huh. think those last two spots might be the spots where there's some room for uh, discussion. Can I can I say real quickly just to frame how I and, and you and I haven't even talked about this. So this okay. is what I love about this exercise is everyone can sort of approach it in their same way or in their okay. own way. Uh, the way I'm viewing this is who are the the four directors or teams of directors in the MCU that if you pulled them out, it would be a radically different thing. <laughs> oh, That's okay. how I'm viewing it. Which like, is, you know, and I say that because Im importance in, in multiple ways, like almost as much for me, just uh, whether oh, it's subject man. matter or tone or like contribution. Uh, I say that because we could have a different discussion that I think would be a lot more predictable maybe for people of me just saying my top four because my top four directors would probably look like the first four names you find on my list of, of best Marvel okay, movies. Okay, okay, uh, all right, all right. So so that's what I'm, which, but I, again, like if you want it to be your favorites, it's however you view the exercise, but that's kind of how I'm okay. viewing it here. So we'll go every other and see if we disagree anywhere. But on the count of three, let's just say our first one, the obvious no-brainer, ready? <laughs> one, two, three, <laughs> Joe and Anthony Russo. You didn't say it. Wow. See, I, I, I wanted to hear you say it and not hear myself <laughs> say something. Uh, right, right. That's so the obvious it. slam dunk. No no real yeah. need for debate there. Yeah, I, th I think that's right. And so on so many levels, you cannot tell the story of the MCU without Joe and Anthony Russo. They directed Winter Soldier, Infinity mm -hmm. War, Endgame, and Civil War. So four yeah. of my top 10 MCU films including my top two and maybe three, top three favorite. Uh, and yeah. It's not just a favorite thing, though. I think for right. a long time, people just lumped them into, oh, they're really good action directors, but really anybody could have done those stories. You know, like, yeah. they, at first yeah. it was kind of like, a, oh, they made Winter Soldier and that was really revolutionary because it was so different from the previous Captain America. Some people didn't know how to feel about that, but it's like just a really clean, good movie. Then I think with like Civil War, there's this tendency to be like, oh, they're just making a Marvel movie. And I think people forget that in some ways, Joe and Anthony defined what a quote unquote Marvel movie is. Like this didn't right. exist before them. And my second main point with them is I don't just think they're good. I now in hindsight think they were uniquely gifted 
it was a perfect storm for them to handle those last Avengers movies, that Kevin would trust them to that, that they cared right. as much as they did, and their ability to balance the absolute juggling act that those films are is actually special, not just, oh, they're good directors. Yeah, yeah. I, well, and, and the way that they utilized Marcus and McFeely, which we're not getting into yep. on the writing front, but that pairing, and, and, and because... It, you know, Marcus and McFeely had done two projects before they worked with the Russos. And so the, the reason mm -hmm. I point that out is you can kind of see the difference that their direction makes with the same script. And, and in some case, the same, you know, in the case of the first Avenger, the, the same character. It is night and day. I think there's a legitimate argument to be made that outside of the Marvel Studios headquarters, like outside of Kevin, Victoria, uh, et cetera, Brad, you know, outside of that, and maybe outside of Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans, that that team up of four people yeah. are the most responsible party for the MCU right after that. I think, I think that's Marcus or, or at least, I mean, and the yeah, brothers. yeah. And at least in terms of what, what it became, cause you're right. I mean, prior to 2014, I mean, the MCU was obviously very successful, but I think the things that ultimately came to define it, that people had the buy-in for, like those, I, I do think a lot of that came initially in Winter Soldier. And Civil War, I think, is even... Yep. I, as I, it's, it's funny because I don't think Civil War is, the, is a movie that a lot of non-diehards hold in as much esteem, not like, like I, it got great reviews, I think, but it just in terms of people visiting and revisiting. But I, I think that somehow, despite that, it was still a turning point. Like I remember when that movie came out and it wasn't this buzz of like, oh my gosh, this is like the craziest like next level Marvel thing, even in the way that like Thor Ragnarok was at the time. But I think that Thor Ragnarok, when it came had the advantage of some of the momentum that really started with this movie. Mm. Dude, like, the way they introduced like Black this, Panther like, and Spider-Man, are you kidding me in yeah, that movie? Yeah, well, are you kidding? exactly, yeah. That's a great point. It's like, like from that moment on... The whole movie is about Steve and Tony, and that's literally perfect. You wouldn't even have to do anything else. But then the fact right. that they also get us a Black Panther uh, introduction and a Spider-Man introduction, and they couldn't have been any better? That's insane. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's telling that the most I think we were culturally le legitimately invested in the ongoing story in the MCU was between Civil War and, and Infinity, Infinity War. War in some ways. Yep. Uh -huh. You know, like, and I say that, I think that now it's a different level of investment. It's it's like there's way more of like an online community here and there are more people that cover all the news and the rumors. But in terms of in terms of people really feeling yes, this right. like, oh my gosh, I have to see the next Marvel project. The casuals. Like I'm, I see that they're building towards something, but I don't know what it is. And every movie is going to give me a new clue. Am I, are we going to see Thanos in this one? Are the Guardians going to come to Earth in this one? Like, are Cap and Tony going to be talking again? It's like all of this stuff that, was, yeah, was kind of born, and, and even in some ways born out of Winter Soldier with the way that they kind of up the or, or upended the status quo there. Yep. So yeah, I can 100%. argue that. I can argue that forty 
to 50% of people that were fans of that era no longer really check in on the MCU. I think I could argue that for sure. I think that's, Um, yeah, yeah. uh, Last thing I said, perfect storm. It is just absolutely crazy when you think about, I mean, it's a perfect storm of they had the right amount of knowledge about the comics and they care about the characters of those, but they also really, really care about film and like action sequences and how those go but they also really cared about the actors they had. Like there's real relationships there that they realized the star power they had on their hands. It's, it just couldn't have been, and, and and they had Kevin's trust. So that's why I say it's the slam dunk first head on the Mount Rushmore uh, monument here. Okay. Why don't you go second? Who would be the second director on your Mount Rushmore? So I think, and, you know, I don't know that I'll have to think about the order that I would that I would do these in. I think sure. that they putting them first in some ways makes sense. In other ways, it we'll see. But the the second proposal for me for Mount Rushmore, when you were saying, you know, more than maybe any other people, they influenced and, and gave us the the MCU that we know. I think that the only person I can think of on the directing front that contributed more would be John Favreau. Oh, wow. Okay. That, that is my, that's on my list. It's my third, but yes, that he's on my list. I think he would almost be my first. And, and I know that's controversial because he only directed two movies and the whole thing. And they were both very early on, but I really went back and forth and, you know, just, I guess as kind of a spoiler for me between him and Joss Whedon, because I think that Joss Whedon, in so many ways, you know, the Avengers is still kind of the template. Oh, gosh. But then I was thinking, you know, what did, you know, Joss Whedon brought in some elements of, of having worked on like Buffy and some sci-fi things or, you know, almost fantasy where he knew how to, how to bring some of that onto the screen. But in terms of like, you know, when, when we look back at it, how much did Whedon add that wasn't already kind of at least seated in Iron Man and and Iron Man 2 in some ways, like whatever you think about that movie. Like, I think that like, if we've said this a thousand times, if you don't have the tone that we immediately start with, with Tony Stark, you don't have the MCU. It just doesn't work. Like it's all built on that. And people at some points will say, you know, it's too jokey or whatever. But regardless, like the MCU is at its best when you have, it's like the, and that's why Marcus and McFeely are so great. Yeah. Yeah. The, like the when you have the great, fast. like the great writing and instincts, but yeah, the like, cause even, I mean, that, what you're saying there, like that carries forward all the way, or at least like in, in some of my, like even scenes in, in, uh, in Ragnarok, you know, like I'm not saying that Taika was was consciously doing this, but this like two people talking at the same time and you hearing bits and pieces of things that are really funny, <laughs> but they're right, obviously right. not even listening to the other. Like it's an ongoing bit that starts with the Iron Man films and is something that like when you watch other things that Favreau has been a part of, like you see that that's kind of the way that he writes and directs and so i i think like and my you know my final thing and i want to hear you on this because i know that you are 
obviously the bigger Iron Man guy than me anyway. But I think the the thing that ultimately would give this slot to him over Whedon for me is I don't think that there's anything stylistically from the the first two Avengers movies that I was wowed by the way that I'm still wowed by the way Iron Man looked like and and just um, all of the like how cool of, of a concept it was like the way that they they come up with Jarvis and how that works and the the heads up display and yep. so it's like I I think that Whedon to me as a writer I mean that's a whole other conversation because I actually really like a lot of his writing but I think director wise this is really where like the 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 beginning was for me like the the root of all of it I love that you brought that up because what is a director's job Ultimately, a director to me is like a producer of music where not any one category is he specifically responsible for. Like some people would push back and be like, well, some of the quick witted slick dialogue is from the writing or it's from RDJ. Like that was a huge thing. But the thing for me is that the director has to be a part of all of that. And John Favreau was a part of casting Robert. He's not. Oh, yeah. He was specifically yeah. editing the CGI right? But he's a part of making sure that it goes through well. So when you look at a, a shot, like the way Iron Man looks when he shoots that missile at the tank and it blows up and walks away in some uh -huh. ways that still looks as good as anything we've seen today around 20 years later. And so he is a part of all of that. That's why I have to give him you know, his props for all of those things, even though no one specific category is his doing. The second thing I'll say is, in my argument, I think that the Rousseau brothers and John Favreau are the only two directors I would say that you cannot tell the story of the MCU without. Mm. While I appreciate what Joss did, and he did so many amazing things with that first Avengers film specifically, I mm -hmm. do think there's another reality out there where somebody else probably could have handled that. I just don't know that anyone was as uniquely gifted as John and the Rousseau brothers for their specific projects. And I'm, I'm with you in that even in regards to those two, I'm not ranking them, but yeah, I don't think it's crazy to say that the MCU would not be where it is if John Favreau and RDJ hadn't done Iron Man, right? Like that's, that was single-handedly right. the thing that launched and saved Marvel Studios. And, and I, I think, you know, even, even again, this is not me dogging on Whedon at all, but yeah, I think you're, yeah, you're right. Because he pulled over things that had worked well in the comics, especially in like recent Ultimate comics, and adapted those. He made some really important tweaks. This is not me at all downplaying how significant those were, but... Yeah, I think that the really, even when you just look at it from like a what was revolutionary perspective, like that they added in, you know, I don't know that you could read, you could read a ton of Avengers comics and particularly the ones I just mentioned. And I think you would have a pretty good sense of what the movie could look like in the same way that you could read a lot of Spider-Man comics from that era and have a pretty good sense of what Sam Raimi was going to do. Because in both cases, they had some really like, TV movie friendly things to adapt and they they pretty much just adapted them. But I don't know that you could read that you could read every Iron Man comic that had ever come out and I don't think that you would have known 
to, to pull like from that. that. Right. And yeah. so I, and that, that also transitions me, although I'll toss it back to you, but that transitions me into who will be my third head on the Mount Rushmore. But I'm curious to hear who yours would be. Well, and bonus points for John Favreau being an actor still in this entire series. Oh, like true. He, yeah. He, 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 yeah. he didn't direct, but he hung around for a long time. Still is around, technically. Um, okay. Yeah, good point. I would love to take the floor here because, as I said, I think that those two are the obvious two that need to be on there on anyone's list. Mm-hmm. From this point on, this is where I don't necessarily know. So let me just lay out a few things for you really quickly. I think an argument could be made for James Gunn, but there are things about James Gunn's tendencies that aren't my preference. And because the Guardians are a little bit isolated, I don't know if it fits in the role of importance relative to could you tell the story without them. I would also like to toss out Taiko Atiti. But even I must admit that while he fundamentally changed the game with Thor Ragnarok, he's only done two films, and the second one was a very mixed response from not only critics and fans, but myself as well. I I could toss out somebody like Joss Whedon, but as I said, even though those movies are awesome that he made, I'm not sure that there's a directorial touch that makes him so elite over someone else. So my point Mm -hmm. is, like, I feel like after those two slam dunks, there's going to be some personal bias here in what you choose. And yeah, I I just don't know at this point. So with that being the massive disclaimer, I'm going to throw out my third, John Watts. Wow. Okay. Okay. I thought that you might go for, for Watts. So here's my argument really quick. I can be real brief with this. Well, and I I should just say as a, as a disclaimer, this is one that is not on my Mount, Mount Rushmore. Oh, really? Okay. So listen, I'm not sure this should be on a Mount Rushmore in terms of importance. Do I Mm -hmm. think you could tell the story of MCU without him? Probably. So that's where I say like my personal bias. I think this is just a preference answer a little bit. Sure. I think he handled some of the core aspects of Spider-Man as a young kid so well And brought us to a spot through the trilogy where I am as excited for Spider-Man as I've ever been now that I'm giving Mm -hmm. him props for that, basically. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, and, you know, yeah, the the tone that he brought to that and in terms of influence, I do think, I mean, those movies have been massive. No Way Home was monumental. And... I think the sense I've gotten having read up on it is that a lot of that in the same way that, to your point, in the same way that John Favreau kind of came on board really pushing for a certain vision of Iron Man, I do think that's how John Watts seems to have been with wanting to do this kind of uh, John Hughes thing with Peter Parker. If you were to make another movie in the MCU, I think... I would just be confident in the overall quality, basically, is why I'm giving him the spot. Right. But I'm excited to hear your third spot then because, like I said, I thought the first two were obvious. Now I don't really know. Yeah. So this is why at the end of my last rant on John Favreau, I was, I was talking about how you could have read all the Iron Man comics in the world and never have come out with the movie he made. I think that is even more the case with James Gunn. And I, I totally hear you whenever it wow. comes to certain tendencies and preferences. 
But yep. and by the way, you know, I, I'm not the I'm not the Guardians guy primarily. Like it's well, not I, the movie that that I will pick to rewatch. But I I think I, there are, th- I think there's a little bit of personal bias there for me. That's all. Really, I do. Because of off-screen stuff or on-screen stuff? Well, 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 first of all, on-screen as far as like if you had to ask me more my more favorite trilogy, I would answer Spider-Man over the Guardians trilogy. Sure. Um, just, just for the consistency factor. Uh, but yeah, maybe, maybe a little bit of off screen stuff is starting to bother me a little bit. Maybe. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Well, you you know, I, I think that it is, and you and I had some conversations around the, you know, the whole period with the flash and guardians both coming out. And so there, I think that there, that's one thing where I've been more removed. I used to follow James Gunn online a lot. And now I, I don't really know what that even looks like. And to uh, clarify, he's not doing anything wrong, by the way. Don't, I don't want people to hear this and be like, oh, Kyle hates the guy. He's like, no, he's an awful no. human. Um, like I, I, and, and he's, you know, he's also doing his job, which is now head of DC. So I understand some of the stuff, he, yeah. you know, he says. I a little bit get rubbed wrong about, like it, it comes off with a little bit, in my opinion, of arrogance about like, I know all about superhero films and like what I say goes which mm-hmm. he he made some good films. I'm not saying that, but I don't. And then also just like his style of humor. You know that I feel about that. Right. Like right. what he's right. bringing right. does have a directorial touch, but it wouldn't be my favorite style of humor, right? Like I like more yeah. of the John Favreau yeah. RDJ humor, like quick, slick, and less like shock, gross, funny. Yeah. And and if you know James Gunn, like now having watched all the Guardians, but especially like Suicide Squad, like the things he mm-hmm. leans into are just not my preference. That's more what I mean. So I don't love when he then acts like, well, if you don't like this, you just don't know like how to make films. I'm like, well, I just don't love yeah. that side of it. But again, Guardians 1 is my third favorite movie in the MCU. Right, one of my favorite right. movies of all time. And I love Guardians 3. So Again, that's why I said yeah. I'm torn here. He might be my fourth. He might be my fourth still. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, and 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 I think for you, and this is maybe where, you know, as I back up, I look at the the influence of him is like, even if Guardians weren't your number three, Infinity War, which really borrows a lot from what James Gunn put into the MCU, is your number one. And that's where I, I I find myself thinking like what was his contribution, not just in terms of the characters, but like the way the characters are imagined. Like that's what I mean. Like there's no but before that movie, there was no analog for that in the comics. The Guardians looked and acted so differently. And so to bring them in in that way and and also to establish that style of comedy and that that kind of world building within the MCU. Like we yeah, talked about when right. we first, you know, it's like like the, the difference between seeing different places in the Thor movies, like we used to talk about and seeing them in the Guardians movies. It, he opened up, like I, I'm almost looking at like, you know, corners of the MCU that were kind of introduced right. by certain folks. And I do think he gave no, us right. a whole brand of of stuff. I think you're right. I th- I think he would he would probably be my fourth. Um I think you're right. You can never underestimate how revolutionary that first Guardians of the Galaxy film was. We had just never seen like you said exactly. We had never seen an analog to that ever in in superhero films. Yeah. 
And we've talked about that movie so much, but yes, I think you're right. That's my fourth. I was going to say, and you know, a lot of people would say the needle drop is a big oh, yeah. contribution. Yeah. Uh, and it is, but that's again, something where like part of the reason that, that John Favreau gets the position he gets for me is like, you know, granted, that's something that he, I mean, that was at the core of his Iron Man films as well. Oh, like from yeah. the very, very beginning. And the first so, shot, and right? then I try to, yeah, exactly. And then I try to think back to like, I don't know that like Gunn has done such good work with that. And, you know, whereas like really we just had a couple of memorable ACDC moments with Iron Man. Like we have had like banger soundtracks that have become kind of have cult followings of themselves. So I'm, he definitely evolved, but I do think it's, it's interesting seeing how like even, even gun, I, I think deserves to be on the Rushmore, but used certain elements, you know, that were there and expanded on them. And that's what I think a great director coming in, you know, halfway through the infinity saga, that's what you need to do. And that's what the Rousseau's did. Like you find what's good, you pull that out, you build on it. And I think he did a, he did a, a good job of that just to, in the, the big picture sense. All right, two things before you say your last one. James Gunn would be my fourth. So my four being the Rousseau brothers, John Favreau, John Watts, and James Gunn. According to Looper, as you were talking, I Googled this, just interesting. They have the, every director in the MCU ranked. They have Joe and Anthony Russo, number two, John Watts, number three, Joss Whedon, and number four, James Gunn with Favreau all the way wow. down to seven. Since my four are done, I just want to quickly say a couple of honorable mentions here. Like I talked about oh, yeah. how like Taika, what's fascinating to me is Taika made one of the best movies of the year in Thor Ragnarok. And it's a top five MCU film for me, but mm -hmm. for his lasting impact to be felt, I feel like I would have had to have felt more of that style of humor and tone going forward in other things. And I feel like the MCU itself kind of deemed it not as important because like when he made love and thunder yeah. and dialed it up a little bit, like it felt so out of place because no one had like taken what he had done in Ragnarok and run with it. So now it kind of feels mm -hmm. like it's yeah. its own isolated thing, even though Ragnarok's a top five for me. And then the right. last honorable mention there is Ryan Coogler. And I, I love what Ryan Coogler meant to the MCU for so many reasons. And I think he has some incredible tendencies, um, like instincts that he leans into, which are great. But neither Black Panther or Wakanda Forever are top 10 films for me. And I'm not sure I personally walk away from those movies really praising the director. I praise the music like crazy, which we should do a Mount Rushmore mm -hmm. of composers, by the way. That'd be fun. Yeah, for sure. I praise the music and I I praise some of the performances and the way that Chadwick changed that character forever. So obviously some credit given to the director, but I don't know that that's my lasting impact of those two films. So that's my last honorable mention. I'm curious to hear your fourth. So that's perfect. My fourth is Ryan Coogler. And okay. I, I say that for uh, kind of continuing this, this same way I've been approaching it of who has kind of, Again, none of it's single-handed, but who has left such a, a memorable and unique impression 
And because I'm, you know, I'm with you. Like, I, I mean, I do have Black Panther ranked really high. And I think I like Wakanda forever more than uh, some other folks. But it's not a preference thing. It's more like, I don't, I don't know that there's any other movie other than the ones that we've, that we've talked about, specifically uh, Iron Man and Guardians, where the first outing, to- like introducing totally new characters has felt that immediately iconic and you can you can debate the you know the the various other considerations there like obviously there are things happening politically in the black panther movie that are not at play in doctor strange but there are also things done there like what we've talked to death about like the killmonger villain and the way that that's approached the way that wakanda is imagined which i think is just as impactful as the way that like the Iron Man suit is first imagined, not not in terms of like significance and movie appearances, but in, in how bold it was and in how, like, I mean, it, there's a reason that that stuff got like these costume and production design Oscar nods that we haven't seen other projects get, not saying other projects shouldn't. But my point is it's like, yeah, I think talking about these different corners and things that are filled in. Yeah. I mean, if you take out granted the Russos gave us Chadwick, which Ryan Coogler has, has given them a lot of praise for in interviews. Like, so the casting there, they, they again, get some credit for, I, again, casting director gets credit, but they were part of that. But the way, like as much as we love the way that Chadwick uh, portrays T'Challa in Civil War and as great as the writing is there from Marcus McFeely, I think that what Coogler did with both that character, the Black Panther as a as an entity, Wakanda, like the way that it that that like all of it shapes and in, into like a very a particular take. Like it's not just let's take this really cool character that like has this power set and he's a king, which is awesome. And we'll just like put him over here and make him really badass. Like instead he was really interested in telling a different story, a different story that, that like doesn't follow even the Stan Lee template, you know, that you can see followed through so much of the infinity saga, which is arrogant guy that gets brought down to earth and has to kind of, rediscover himself iron man dr strange ant-man in some ways thor in some ways like it's a totally different narrative totally different arc so i I think that it's going to be interesting to see moving forward what that looks like to your point like do more things get picked up i already think that there are things that we would not have gotten in falcon and winter soldier if not for black panther and i think that the same can maybe be said for the Brave New World film, but, you know, we'll reserve judgment. So I think that there are already implications, but I think that we'll have to, you know, we've got the benefit of hindsight as to what a 2008 film did uh, from the Iron Man side. I, I think we'll have to have a bit longer to step back and see where Black Panther takes us, which only came out five years ago. But it's hard for me to see anybody else doing especially having now kind of watched the creed movies uh or the, or the first creed film that that kugler brought such a stamp to like 
it's hard for me to see somebody else doing what he did there, or at least doing it as well as he did it. Wholeheartedly agree. I think for me, James Gunn, Ryan Coogler would almost be interchangeable. So no pushback there. Almost just a preference thing at that point. As a quick side note, a couple things. One, how crazy is it now in hindsight that the Black Panther character introduction in Civil War does flow so seamlessly into how he's portrayed in Black Panther, the film? Like, how in the world did they get that so right already? One of Black Panther's last lines in Civil War, um, revenge is consuming them, I'm done letting it consume me, like the living are not done with you yet, feels just like it's ripped out of a Black Panther movie. Uh Uh-huh. Like, the fact that they got on the same page for that portrayal is crazy to me. Just, I love how seamless that was. That's the kind of stuff that I loved about the MCU, you know? Crazy. Yes, yeah. Uh, And then lastly... As we do these kinds of episodes, all it usually does for me is inspire thoughts of other episodes. Like now I kind of want to do an episode on a Mount Rushmore of directors or actors or something that you would like to see brought in. Like if I had to give you a top six of either directors or actors that you would like to see join, that'd be a fun list to do on a bonus episode. We should do that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I would, I almost want to get into it now, but I'm like, no, that's going to be 30 more minutes. We'll save it for another thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that there there are other, like I've wanted to do that from a casting perspective. I would like to do that from, like I, I want us to do a, a composers, existing Mount MCU Rushmore. composers, Mount Rushmore. But I would yeah. also like to do a, who are the composers that we would like to see brought in and maybe on what types of projects. And yeah, same with, with, actors. And I think that these are fun. I mean, there are some, especially kind of coming out of the summer, some actors that I've long thought about being good fits here, but that now I really want in and, and kind of have some roles that I would fan cast. So that's a, this can be a little, uh, yeah, that'd be fun. A seer in ongoing series of sorts. Oh, a Mount Rushmore series. Add to the list. Here we go. This has been so much fun. Thanks for listening. We'll keep these kinds of episodes coming. And who's on your Mount Rushmore of directors? We'd love to hear from you at the FFW podcast or message us on Patreon, Substack, etc. Or Discord. Just stay in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time here on Friends from Work Plus.